felt blessed. <laughs> All right, so I don't have a PowerPoint today because I was expecting Kirk to make one for me, but <laughs> dropped them all on that one. Does anyone else have a PowerPoint on them by any chance? Just kidding, we'll go without it. Strong mental images, strong imaginations. Here we go. So I'm going to preach on Psalm 3. And at first, when I read Psalm 3, Kirk gave me an assignment. He's like, you're preaching on Psalm 3. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I read it. I'm like, this is kind of a hard psalm to preach on. At first, it seemed that way. Until I realized that I actually have a pretty unique opportunity. Psalm 3 is the first psalm that provides a title uh, that refers to an event. So there's actual background to the psalm. So it can provide some context. So not only can we look at the psalm and draw truth from the words, we can also gain an increased perspective from knowing what the author was going through at the time as he wrote it. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Here we go. So David is the author. The title of the psalm is David in concern, or um, it is, here we go. It's a psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. Mm -hmm. So that's the story we have. That story we found in 2 Psalm chapter 15 through 18. Um, it's a tragic story. Uh, David is the king of Israel, and David had a lot of high moments in his life. He had a lot of low moments in his life. Um, some of the high moments you might recall as when he took on a giant and Goliath, David and Goliath, classic tale. A low point in his life was uh, the Bathsheba debacle. <laughs> if you don't know about it, he was on his balcony one day catching some sun and he looks out and there's this stunning woman having a bath on her roof and uh, Basically, this is a low point, like I said, in his life. He ends up getting her pregnant. She's married already. He ends up killing her husband and uh, taking her as her own. So pretty low point. So my first point today would be if you're getting a bathtub installed in your new home. <laughs> ladies, don't install it on your rooftop, okay? You're going to save yourself a lot of trouble if you just put it inside. <laughs> Especially for the ladies. If you're, because, you know, ladies are beautiful. For the men, it might not be a, such a big problem. You can throw your bathtub on the roof. I don't think anyone's going to look. <laughs> So this is, this moment, this low point, we could probably actually trace this sin of his, this moment, which he eventually was confronted by Prophet Nathaniel, came and said, bad boy. And then he's like, oh no, you're right. And then he felt so remorseful, he repented of what he had done. And then from then, from that sin, we can probably trace the whole cancerous dysfunction that ensues throughout his family throughout the rest of the book of Samuel, mm -hmm. which led up to this point where his son Absalom 
went on his four-year campaign developing a conspiracy against his father, which turned everyone against David and uh, forced David to flee Israel um, into the wilderness uh, with a few of his loyal friends. And that's where he writes this psalm in that situation. So it's a terribly difficult time, yet we'll see David had a steadfast resolve in the Lord's goodness and his strength. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm going to speak about is finding help in times of trouble. So how do we have the same steadfast resolve in times of trouble, in difficult times? Because we all go through difficult times, um, times that we feel we might not be able to handle as we're in them. So before I move into the psalm, if you at all agree with anything I say, say amen, okay? If you at all, exactly, if you're at all inspired ever by something I say, say praise God. If I ever go into a tangent, say help him, Lord. We've got to learn to express ourselves a bit. Thank you, Shirley. All right. So open up your Bibles, if you have them, to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. Here we go. How to have a steadfast resolve in the Lord in difficult times. Verse 1 and 2 reads, O Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of me, there's no help, no salvation for him in God. So if we're going to find help in difficult times, the first thing that we have to do, as David did here, is we've got to recognize our situation. We've got to recognize our weakness. And we have to be vulnerable before God. There's no point in trying to hide anything from God. There's no point in trying to hold anything back. Don't hold back. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, God knows what we'll say even before we say it. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. And He's the one to whom we're accountable. So there's no point in trying to cover up what you're going through. God already knows all about it. So when you come before Him, spill your guts, let Him know. Be vulnerable. Not because God doesn't know it, where you're at, like I said, but it's important for you to recognize and for us to recognize where we're at. You know, at AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, the first thing they say is, Hi, my name's Zach. Hi, my name's Zach. Praise the Lord. Exactly. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and then they'll be like, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But uh, the reason they do that is because in order for them to find healing, they have to recognize what they, they're dealing with, right? It's kind of... We have to all do the same thing. We have to recognize our situation, recognize that we're broken vessels, recognize that what we're going through, we can't handle. We're all weak. And ironically, it's our weakness that makes it hard for us to admit that we're weak. It's actually a weakness of ours, that we can't admit that we're weak sometimes. Matthew 5.3 says, But blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That means 
Blessed are those who realize that they have a deep internal need for God's Spirit. Mm-hmm. You're going to be blessed for recognizing that. Not only is this the beginning point of finding help, but it's also the beginning point of finding relief. God come to grip with what you're going through. God face it. In case you didn't know, you're also surrounded by enemies on every side, as David was. He said, my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. In case you didn't know, you also have enemies on every side. If your eyes, your spiritual eyes were to be open, you would realize that you're in the middle of a battle zone, right? It's important for you to recognize that in case you didn't know, because if you don't know who your enemy is, you're going to be more susceptible to them. Ephesians 6.12 says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't know, now you know. You're surrounded by enemies on every side. Mm-hmm. So that's my first point. You've got to recognize what you are. You're a helpless vessel, broken vessel. You're helpless. And then, following the same formula that David does in this psalm, what we then got to move into in order to find help for our helpless selves is recognize who God is. In verse 3, it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and my honor the one who lifts my head. The one who lifts my head. So the first point is recognizing who we are. The second point is recognizing who God is. God is our shield. God is our protector. So if you think of a shield, like a knight wearing armor, he's got a shield, or maybe an old school warrior got their shield, the best it can serve as maybe some midsection protection. But God is everywhere, which means he can cover you head to toe, your mind, your body, and your soul. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's our defender. Amen? Amen. He's powerful. He's our shield. Totally covered. And this is something we have to believe in. We have to exercise our faith in this area, and we have to trust in this truth. God has got you, so you have not to be afraid. And also says God, he also says God is our glory, our honor, our dignity, the one who lifts our head. At first, I didn't know what the one who lifts our head meant, but then I thought about it. You know that saying that we say when we've done something wrong, how does it go? I hung my head in shame, in shame right? When you've done something wrong, you hang your head in shame, Yeah. right? But God forgives us. That's right. We say this when we've done something wrong, or even if we've been wrong severely. Because when we've been wrong, it also causes shame to us, right? Sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've been abused, for instance, uh, you might have felt robbed of your value and your dignity. Well, guess what? When it comes to determining your value and your dignity, uh, the buck stops with God on that one. He's the one who determines your value and your dignity. And he's paid a heavy price for you. God is the lifter of our heads. He can take away your shame and make you whole again, no matter what anyone has ever done to you. If you've been severely abused, maybe physically, uh, in your life, there's healing in the Lord. 
There's nothing that they can do to access that inner part of you that God has created, that God has knit together as he was forming you. Or maybe you think you're in a different scenario because uh, you're the one to blame for your feeling of shame. Uh, you've sinned so egregiously in your eyes that you feel uh, it's different. You've used and abused your own body, maybe. Or maybe you're the victimizer of someone else. You've thrown your body around, and now you feel kind of empty. It's my own fault. I deserve this, might be what you say. Well, guess what? You don't even determine your value or dignity. The buck stops with God, again, on that one. You are not your own. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He paid a heavy price for you. So stop looking to yourself, your accomplishments or lack thereof, your goodness or lack thereof. Stop looking to your past. You can know you're valuable because of the creator of the world, Jesus. He was willing to die for you. But he didn't just die. He was lifted from the grave back to life. He's the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. Follow Jesus, and you're going to partake in that glory, that honor, that transformation, that renewal, and the lifting up of your head, never to be hung again in shame. So if you've been abused, take heart knowing that no person has the power to rob you of your dignity, humanity, and value. Matthew 10, 28 says, uh, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Uh, well, fear only God. Only God has access to what makes you human, right? And only God has the power to restore that part of you if you feel like it's been lost. In Revelation 3.20, it talks about how in order for him to access that part of us, though, we have to give him access. It says, here I am. Jesus is saying this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock the door of your heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. God wants to have a relationship with us. And this brings me to my next point. Once we've acknowledged who we are, helpless, broken vessels in need of a helper. Uh, and once we've acknowledged who God is, he's the helper. Now it's time, in order for us to gain help, we've got to ask God for help. Mm -hmm. Point number three is ask God to help you. In verse four, uh, Psalm three, verse four, he says, uh, with my voice, I was crying to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Psalm 3, 4 says, With my voice, I was crying to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Do you cry before the Lord in your time of trial? This really struck me when Prince was introducing us to the uh, service this morning. He talked about how we've got to cry out to God uh, in order to see him move, and this is exactly what my next point is all about. Do we cry out to the Lord in our time of trial, or do we just complain? I'm going to preach to myself here for a minute. There's a difference between crying out to God and complaining. It's easy to complain about the brokenness in our world, the corruption in our governments, the abuse of power, the ridiculousness of people's mindsets. And it's easy to justify our complaining by calling it righteous anger. If you know me well, and if we've talked about the coronavirus, <laughs> you'll think I'm the biggest hypocrite right now. <laughs> because I've been complaining about this thing since March. Let me tell you, I'm very over this whole thing. I'm very done with the COVID thing. I'm tired of it. I just keep complaining about it. you know. But if I only complain about it, and I never 
cry out to the Lord about it, I shouldn't actually expect anything to change, right? And this is the challenge I pose to myself as much as I do to all of us moving forward. Probably the most instantly practical thing that I'll say today is every time the coronavirus comes up and the mask, which is basically a daily thing, um, and you feel like complaining, uh, turn that complaining instinct into a crying out to the Lord. God, free us from this thing. God, help us from this thing. You know what it means to cry out? Ah! That's crying out. And we gotta learn to we gotta learn to pray like this. We gotta pray out loud. That's right. God help us. That's what we're crying out. But we don't like to raise our voice that much. In Canada, we don't actually like to do that. It's kind of impolite. It's better to stay quiet. It's much more considerate of others. <laughs> it's much more considerate of others to stay quiet to put your mask on put your mask on see what I did there I just snuck in a little complaint about the mask <laughs> but gotta apply what I said God free us from this thing free us from the masks Lord it's not the new normal God you gotta free us from this it's ridiculous that's right We gotta praise God. We gotta cry out to Him. If you see this COVID thing, though, because that's another thing that struck me as Prince was introducing the service when he, he mentioned the mask, and that's what the point I was planning on talking about. It's more than just a physical thing, right? And we gotta address the spirit behind what's really going on. And this is complaining doesn't address the spirit behind what's really going on. It's just addressing the physical thing that's going on. It's like, oh, I have to wear this mask. It's so inconvenient. So annoying. But there's a spirit behind the mask, right? There's a spirit behind the whole virus, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, it literally said, just to make this point clear, it literally said uh, in the Ottawa Public Health Guideline for reopening of churches that we should refrain from what they call rituals, such as the laying on of hands. Why, they say? It's because it increases the likelihood of transmitting the virus and getting people sick. That's literally what it said. And what does the Bible say about the laying on of hands? It says, it actually means for people to be healed from sickness. So if you don't see this thing as a spiritual thing, it's time to wake up from that. We gotta, we gotta start fighting this battle, crying up to God. Not to say that God's limited to laying on of hands. God can heal with just a word. But when I saw this, it was clear that there's a spirit governing the mindset that two spirits that are at odds with each other governing this, this thing. Mm -hmm. So which side are you on? The side of fear or the side of faith? It's much better. It's much more fun. It's much more light and life-giving to be on the side of faith. So I'll wrap up this point by saying, humble yourself, get down on your knees, raise your voice, and cry out to God in your time of trouble to act. So point one, recognize we are helpless. Point two, God is the helper. Point three, it's on us to ask God for help. And so point four, this is my last point, is this. 
once you've asked God to help you, it's time at that point to let go and let God help you. Verse 5 and 6 says, I lay down and slept safely. I awakened, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be intimidated or afraid of ten thousands who have set themselves against me all around. David literally had ten thousand guys coming after him. Absalom got an army his way. And this is what David managed to write in the midst of that. He said, I, I slept safely. I slept, I slept soundly. Uh, the Lord sustains me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. See, it's one thing to carry our burdens to Jesus, but you're actually able to walk away with them too. It's one thing to carry your anxieties and your problems to Jesus. It's another thing to actually let them go into his hands and trust him. That's hard. That takes trust. But you can trust God. You're not meant to fight for yourself, and you won't last long if you try. God wants to fight for you, and he will fight for you. You just have to relax a little bit and stop worrying. Be still and know that he is God. He is in control. He will work all things together for the good of those who love him. Amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you. You may ask, why do I even have to go through these trials to begin with in the first place? Last week, Kirk talked a little bit about this. It develops our faith, first of all. But it's also an opportunity for God to get the glory. Our trial is an opportunity for God to get glory. All things are for the glory of God. Right? There's many awesome examples in, in the Bible of when God specifically stacked up situations so that the only possible way out was for God to miraculously intervene. Amen. He did that for a reason. You should check out some of these stories. Check out the story of Gideon and the 300, for example. Gideon was facing, he's an army leader of Israel, and he was going to face his enemies. Uh, he, had, he started, I think, with like 100,000, and then God told him, I want to show you something. I want you to actually trim down that number. And then Gideon's like, okay. Trimmed it down, let's say in half. I don't know the exact details offhand. And then God is like, uh, let's trim it down a little more. Just in a kind of conspicuous way, he's like, okay, go get your men to drink from, uh, drink from the river. And for those, those men that cup the water, bring it up to their mouth, uh, keep those guys. The guys that stoop down and drink from the water directly with their tongues, get rid of those guys. Just, there's no reason rhyme to it, right? God just wanted to do something. And so he dwindled that number down to 300 soldiers. And the opposing enemy was like, thousands upon thousands and they managed to win that battle why would God do that other than just to show his glory and how awesome he is just to demonstrate that he wants to fight on our behalf right Jehoshaphat and the choir-led army it's another great story Jehoshaphat was the king of Israel as well at one point the enemies he got word that enemies were uniting to, to fight them. So he came to the Lord, he cried out. There's this pattern all the time of trial comes, crying out to the Lord, 
And then God answering. And God said, get your battle, your army ready, but put a choir of singers in front of them, march up to the battlefield. And so they did. And get those guys to sing and not stop singing. And so they did. And so they marched to the battlefield. They're singing triumphantly, praising God all the way. Um, and then when they arrived to the battlefield, their enemy was already dead. <laughs> God had made them all fight each other. Just so awesome. Amen. Amen. God wants to fight our battles. That's the point. Cry out to God and then sit back and watch as your enemies crumble. As we read the story of David fleeing from his son Absalom, this is like the final point I want to make. It's a very, very powerful point that uh, stood out to me uh, when reading through 2 Samuel, the story of David running from Absalom. It says that David fled Israel through the wilderness, and then he came to uh, this mountain called the Mount of Olives. And on this Mount of Olives, it's likely where he wrote this psalm. He was weeping before the Lord, uh, facing his predicament. Just weeping. And then, in the midst of that, as he walked up the mountain weeping, he wept before God and he etched these final words of Psalm 3. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be upon your people. And I believe that what he wrote was actually a prophecy. It was prophetic of something that was going to happen about 1,400 years later. On that very same mountain, there was a man named Jesus who also was weeping in the garden, about to face the crucifixion. It's amazing. Same mountain. Pretty cool. <laughs> God heard that prayer. On that same mountain, Jesus wept before the Lord because he knew that the time of that prophecy had come to be fulfilled, but not without a great price. Praise Jesus that he was willing to strike our enemy on the face, knock out the teeth of our enemies, rendering them harmless. That's what that means. He shattered the teeth of our enemy. Mm -hmm. Can't bite you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he brought about our salvation, and he lavished his blessing upon his people. Praise God. No matter what happens in this life, those who are in Christ will arise with Jesus victorious because of what Jesus has done. I want to pray that last little bit. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. We're going to cry out to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus,